Blog Talk Radio. Did you know that elders and others are losing their rights to liberty and property? Anyone can petition a court to have a person deemed incapacitated. What if that person is you? The adult guardianship system was created to protect incompetent people and their assets. A court-appointed guardian, sometimes a total stranger, can force you into a nursing home and sell your home to pay for services. Treasured belongings can disappear as you are drugged and isolated from loved ones. Why does this happen? Unfortunately, the courts don't have the funding to supervise and audit cases. A guardian makes all the decisions on your behalf, taking control of your assets with little accountability. The potential for abuse is frightening. Luckily, not all guardians exploit those under their care, but when they do, there's really nowhere to go for help. The National Association to Stop Guardian Abuse, NASGA, is working to reform adult guardianship to return it to its once noble purpose of protecting the human rights to life, liberty, and property and ending financial exploitation of assets. Are you or your loved ones protected? To learn more, visit StopGuardianAbuse.org. Good evening, everybody. This is Marty Oakley. I know you're happy to hear from me. Um, (laughs) This is the DS Radio Network. And our show tonight, of course, centers around guardianship and the peripheral issues that pertain to that. These shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the original Whistleblower Summit, which will take place this year, July 29th and 30th in Washington, D.C. And we may also have a virtual um, panel. So we'll just have to see how all that goes. Um, But anyway, we are rolling on. There's a lot of changes happening, a lot of things going on. Um, One of the things I want to bring up is kind of unrelated to tonight's topic, but I want you to think about there is an effort underfoot. This um, started probably a good 15 years ago, this Agenda 21. Now, you may think that's totally unrelated, but I'll tell you how it isn't. This actually destroys state sovereignty. And this was part of the push for uniform laws, to get these laws, and so the laws are the same everywhere. Um, This would also open the door, uh, as we see happening in Florida. They're passing legislation that allows them, if you've been in the state for three days and accessed any services there of any kind, like got your toenails done or something, and you leave the state and they they want to guardianize you, they can go to the state where you are and retrieve you from your state of residency and bring you back. And they said that's their interpretation of jurisdiction. We're going to see a lot of this. So you need to watch the laws coming out and read them carefully. Now what they're, they're planning on doing is setting up these regional councils which would override any need for senators and representatives. They wouldn't be doing anything the regional council would. And this can include up to three states. And this is some scary stuff. But what it will do essentially, like I say, is destroy sovereignty. Along with that will go the constitutions and any protectional laws. Uh, Not that we have a whole lot of them on the books as it is. The other thing I want to explain to you, and I had a long conversation about this today, these probate courts are not courts of law. They are tribunals. These are courts of contracts, of of statutes, regulations, and code that operate outside the law. And that's why when you go into probate tribunal, you cannot use the Constitution or any of your unalienable rights to defend yourself. Because they make all the rules, of course, to benefit themselves. Uh, this is how why you can lose your 
ownership of your own identity and your right to conduct your own affairs. You couldn't do this in a civil court or a criminal court. These people have not committed any crime. Um, they're being attacked by predators in the system who are looking to profit from them. And anything's an excuse. And or there can be no excuse at all other than you've got something we want. They're allowed to get up in these tribunals and levy all kinds of charges without any evidence of what they're saying is true. And they are never asked for evidence. Court of law, they would be required to follow the code of civil procedure and the rules of evidence. And you you can't get you just get up and say anything you want about another person with it going unchallenged. The ministerial clerk or hearing examiner who is masquerading as a judge, a judge tends to the law. These people do not. Again, it's code, statute, regulation, and contract. And they are oftentimes contracted to the very agencies that are coming against you. There's a lot to this. We need to get rid of probate. There is no fixing it. It was never made to run efficiently or fairly or equitably. It, it, that's never was its focus. Its focus was depriving an individual of their life, liberty, and property. And that's exactly what probate is about. And they found a wonderful plan to get it done that goes unchallenged. So think about all these things when you listen to tonight's show, because our guest tonight is a lady named Valerie Joy. She's from Madison, Wisconsin, and she's quite the girl. And um, she's going to be talking to you about how to uh, spot symptoms of early Alzheimer's and don't one of you dare send me a message and say, Marty, that's you. Um, <laughs> but but um, she's going to be doing that and also tips on uh, care and, and avoid getting social services and courts involved. And whatever you do, avoid getting any of these social agencies or the courts involved. Um, what she says most important is how family members need to all be on the same page as fighting families are the biggest targets for the guardianship predators. And this is very true. And what they will do, even yeah. if there isn't any contention between siblings or other relatives, they'll create it. They'll drive that wedge in. Yep. And and the one they're courting uh, to help them out, you know, gets played right up to the end, and they're done out of everything just like everybody else. But this is how this operates. They always look for that weak link. So who's the weak link in your family? Put a piece of duct tape on their mouth, put them in the closet. Anyway, I'm going to let Kazi pick it up from here. She found this guest and has talked to her extensively. So, Kaz, this is your show. Take it away. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much, Marty. And thank you, Valerie. Marty has trained me well, so let's see if I can do a good job. So, first off, I have to brag on our state, Wisconsin. We are, Valerie and I are both operating in Dane County, Wisconsin, and we are not hearing a lot of guardianship abuse going on in Dane County. In fact, the founder of NASCA, Sylvia Rudak, her case happened in Wisconsin, and she hired a lawyer out of Dane County, and that lawyer won. And so there is an amazing attorney that is right here in Dane County. There has been several referrals to this attorney due to Glory Hobbs. We keep this information to ourselves, but if you contact NASCA and they vet you, they will hand that information over to you. But it has come to our attention that there is a county in Wisconsin 
that is very close to having a, the whistleblow. It, they have been divorcing families. The guardian is divorcing the families. And I had heard that they keep throwing um, the one thing that I had heard. They keep taking the same person, putting them in guardianship. The, the judge is putting it out. And, like, every week just trying to wear them down. And I've never heard of anything like that, which made me think, well, at least the judge is decent and isn't letting this keep you know, keep going through, but it financially is starting to drain the person who has to keep fighting for their security. And this person had come to me and asked what, like, there needs to be laws that you can't keep doing that. I've never heard of it done before. Have you, Marty, that you can just keep filing and filing and filing? The judge keeps saying no, 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 but it's costing money and you're going to eventually wear someone down. So we can't say who it is, right, Marty? But Marty and I there might be special speakers here in Wisconsin. Yeah. So I'm really proud of our state and that there there are stories of abuse because we have had them on here. But it is so far and few in between. We also, Valerie and I, were talking about, you know, there's so many terrible stories about hospice, but we have a Grace Hospice here in Madison, and it's and I've often chimed in, hey, all these hospices are terrible except for a Grace Hospice, which my parents went through. Valerie has done some volunteer work with. And we could just touch on when it's not for profit and the community rallies behind a hospice. There's so many fundraisers raisers that go on. Like through my bakery, I've done emergency wedding cakes, anniversary cakes. It's just such a great community hospice that we have here in Madison, and I hope that we never lose it to corruption and to the stories that we hear. But we're going to take today to talk about taking care of elderly, and the one thing when I had met Valerie and she was doing a a presentation, she talked about the sandwich generation, and I had never heard that term before, but I had realized that that was me. And Valerie, would you like to explain to all the listeners what is that sandwich generation? Yeah, sure. So thank you, first of all, for having me here. I'm really grateful to be here and share a little bit of a different perspective um, tonight and think about things, uh, one of them being the sandwich generation, and I am part of it. And when I look at it, there's a lot of different definitions of the sandwich generation based on how many different generations of your family that you're caring for. Um, In my particular scenario, I have two children of my own, as well as my parents in their mid-60s. My mother's on disability and has been for a decade or more, as well as my grandmother, who is going to be 100 in a couple weeks. Um, So there's a lot of people that fall under my wings uh, in one way or another as far as caregiving. Um, and others have similar situations where it could be their children that are still living at home and having aging parents, um, or sometimes two sets of uh, aging relatives, whether it's parents and grandparents. So we're going to see a lot more of that as um, our entire community ages. There's a lot of adults that are over 65 now, and it's just going to continue to be that way uh, as we go into the years ahead. Yeah, for me, being in that sandwich generation, and I wish I had known you back then, it it was, you know, my parents were older when they got married and had me, and so they were, you know, my children were still school age, middle school and high school, and now my parents are terminally ill. My mother 
you know, was dying. And then when she died, then I had to take care of my father. And yet I still had a full-time job and I had these young kids. And so you're torn. It's that caregiving between the, 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 you know, you're sandwiched in between taking care of young and taking care of old. And it was, it was overwhelming. I wouldn't trade it in for anything, but I had no idea of any sort of support or resources and I knew mm-hmm. nothing. So I was on my own just dealing about it. And I had never even heard this terminology before. Are there support groups now for, for people who are the caregivers of this situation? There are definitely support groups and there's growing um, support groups that get really specific. And some of them are just for male caregivers. Some of them are female caregiver support groups, or some of them are just open, open to the public in general. Um, and a lot of options are available in specific communities and you can find them quite often through the Aging and Disability Resource Center. Um, and each state has different aging and disability resource centers, and each community has different services. Um, so you can get quite specific. Wow. Now, I got to brag on you. You just won a really big award. Could you oh, tell us you. about that great big award? I was like, I was yeah. like telling Marty, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to see if she'll come on because this will be huge. And so could you you please share, everyone, this great award, and we're just so honored to have you. Thank you. Well, earlier this week was the 36th annual uh, Wisconsin Alzheimer's Association chapter, and I was surprised by being honored with the 2022 Care and Support Volunteer Award. Um, So this is something that I received after uh, a it's been about three years of uh, volunteer work with the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, I began in a role where I hosted memory cafes, which are um, a social support system designed for individuals in the early stages of dementia and their care partners, uh, where they can meet in their community that they live in with others in the same situation and grow their support network as they journey through dementia. Well, as I started to journey with hosting memory cafes, we entered the pandemic, and my memory cafe and all the others across the country closed down, and I shifted into community education at that time and was doing a lot of virtual education, Um, and I'm now really excited to say that I'm back into the community again, offering in-person sessions when possible. Um, But I've really embraced this uh, role as a community educator, and it's taken me uh, to some really incredible places. Uh, I'm excited to see what the future has in store. So thank you for letting me uh, share a a bit of what I know and a bit of my experience, because it's been a lifetime of experience that has brought me here today. Wow. Well, I know when we were talking, and this is something that I didn't know, you were explaining to me that Alzheimer's is under the umbrella of dementia. Would you mind explaining all that and how and what's underneath all this umbrella stuff? For sure. So this is one of the first classes I learned how to teach and some of the really basic information. And one of the things that helps everyone grasp a little bit is knowing what's the difference um, between Alzheimer's and dementia. And the easiest way to think of this concept is to think of the word dementia 
as an umbrella. And then all of the different things that could qualify as a dementia go under that umbrella. So Alzheimer's is a type of dementia, or there's Lewy body dementia, or one that's really specific and speaks to my family as one of the other dementias is Huntington's chorea uh, disease. There's a lot of different terms that qualify dementia, but not all of them are Alzheimer's. Wow, thank you for that. Now, what is the age, like the age range that you're seeing it? I had shared the story, and I'll share it for everyone. It's just a sad story. There's um, a local restaurant owner owned, you know, several restaurants, and when COVID hit, the stress of, you know, all of a sudden all these bills can't be paid, and when you, it's not just one restaurant that they had. It was a several. And the stress on this man who was 61 years old in great shape caused him to have a stroke and he's now in a memory care unit and just the amount of stress that overcame like it it happened so fast and I know we were talking about like there's such an age range could you speak to that like the age range and how fast or slow can this come on for people sure Um, so when we think of something like young onset or early onset dementia that's when the symptoms that are typically associated with dementia start before 65. So, for example, in my family with my aunt, her symptoms, she's in her mid-50s. So she definitely has symptoms of early onset dementia. What are the symptoms that someone could be looking for? Yeah, so a lot of us, when we think about typical aging, it's things like our hair becoming silver, our eyes not focusing right, um, or maybe, you know, we have a little bit of trouble with technology, which is pretty normal because there's so many different things that we have to adapt to these days. Um, But when we think about things like dementia, it's going to be having trouble doing things that were typically done with ease or maybe forgetting how to describe something, so calling a watch a hand clock, or um, there's a lot of different things. Let me see. What else could we have? Um, Maybe decreased or poor judgment, so doing things that they wouldn't normally have done, or maybe reverting to speaking a native language or even cursing a lot more than they used to. Uh, For example, like if my grandmother started cursing, I would be a little bit concerned because that's not something that would ever be in her normal vocabulary. Um, And then uh, more subtle things like withdrawal from social um, or work functions or changes in mood and personality. There's a lot of different, different signs. So does the person who has dementia, do they ever, like, actually notice the signs in themselves, or is it usually others that notice? It can be a bit of both. And that's one of the things that's great to think about having a conversation about before dementia is a, a, a deep concern because it's something really great in honoring the person that you are caring about in general to say, hey, you know what, how would you like me to respond to you if I start to notice any changes in your memory or changes in your behavior? Because that way they can tell you what their wishes would be and you can better honor them later on should dementia come into the conversation or into the journey. 
Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I would have never thought of that. Now, not every elderly person gets dementia. And I think sometimes people put them all into the hole of, yep, they all get it, but they don't all get it. Not everybody gets it. Would that be correct? That's really true. Um, And it's a common misconception. And it's something that's even more prevalent among different um, social and cultural communities. Um, Because for a lot of people, they believe that dementia is just something that's going to happen no matter what when you get older, and that's not the case. Um, And it's also there are things that we can do to help decrease the likelihood of getting it. And there are – it's shown that we're living longer than we used to. Um, So – and there's increased likelihood. So there's a lot of different things that are going on, and really educating ourselves is the best way I think that we can all move forward um, because there are um, there are so many unknowns, but um, there are things that we can do to help ourselves. Now, do people – I don't think they quite understand who's going to get it, how it happens, like – is there any, has the medical community, like, figured out anything, like, what's causing it? Well, there's a few things that they're discovering. Um, there's definitely a higher prevalence of dementia in women over men. There's also oh. a much higher instance of dementia within the black and Hispanic communities. And we don't know if that's necessarily because of health or because of socioeconomic factors or education. It could be a lot of different things. Um, And then, of course, age is a contributing factor. Um, But there's not one, you know, one specific thing that leads to dementia. There are multitudes of contributing factors um, and multiple different diseases that can cause dementia and um, dementia-like symptoms. So that is one thing to keep in mind. If you are someone that's caring for an aging adult or anyone for that matter, if something changes really suddenly in their behavior or their health, make sure you reach out to a doctor. That way you're getting the proper diagnosis and treatment. Um, For a lot of older adults, something like a urinary tract infection can cause symptoms that mimic dementia and often go untreated and can lead to more serious problems. So that's why I always, whatever class or conversation I'm having, I always want to remember to say, if something really strange is happening, make sure you reach out to the doctor just just in case. (laughs) They can treat things. The urinary tract infection, we've had some of our guests on the show, and that's all it was, and they get thrown in the guardianship, and, I mean, the nightmares just began and it was a urinary tract infection infection so that is that's so true and such a good point to make like oh my gosh so it's an easy one to fix too Mm -hmm. um now the biggest question and the thing that can cause the most division in families is everyone not being on the same page we see not not all of the guardianship situations happen like this because in in like for example for my family no one was fighting everyone was on the same page and it was a bank who who filed the petition so i guess they really wanted that money but anyway um 
but a lot of people go into guardianship because there is a family feud and they're the families are fighting over how, you know, mom or dad should be cared for. And at that point, somehow someone goes to an attorney, the courts get involved, they call social services. What would you say is the best thing to, that people need to realize to stay out of this fighting situation? Twofold. One of the things, uh, one of the pieces is not waiting to have the uncomfortable conversations. And try to have conversations that are deep before there's a crisis. So, for example, you know, uh, even for myself, I, I'm in my mid-30s. I, I went through the pandemic healthy. But what I'm recognizing is that I need to make sure I have documents in place for myself and my children to make sure that everything is taken care of should something come up. Um, and that's something that we should all be having if we're in relationships or if we have family members that we're caring for, we need to have those conversations, those tough conversations, and we need to have them right away so that there isn't a crisis. But then uh, the second part of that twofold piece is making sure that once you start the conversations that you continue to kind of have those conversations and that everyone in the care team is communicating as best they can. Um, and that can be, you know, you and your partner or your neighbors, because sometimes neighbors can be really important to make sure you have peer support. Um, all of the people, um, doctors, nurses, nursing assistants, or those people in the, like the Aging and Disability Resource Center, reaching out to those people when you need support and not waiting until you're burnt out because that's another thing that's happening is a lot of caregivers are very burnt out uh, having survived the pandemic or um, realizing all of the stresses that were added on to caregiving during the pandemic. So taking care of oneself is really an important thing as well. You know, one thing that I've seen is, is, assisted living versus nursing home. And when my dad finally moved into the assisted living, he was so glad he did. And the and we were glad too. It was it was still like he had an apartment, but they made meals and they had someone come in and help him with like with housekeeping and definitely do your tours, pay attention. He wasn't even in any, you know, fancy it costs a ton of money assisted living. There's very reasonable assisted living and I only have good things to say about this assisted living. It was in Cottage Cottage Grove. And I've known people that I actually have a friend and she just she was wheelchair bound and she was just going downhill, downhill and there was a couple of us and we're like, You you really need to think about moving into an assisted living. You need to do that now before you could go downhill worse and it's hard to have that conversation with friends but you can't let things all of a sudden go downhill so bad that now it's out of your control and unfortunately it it, it didn't it didn't she was stubborn and she wouldn't move into that assisted living and then you know the health crisis happened and she was in a nursing home for the rest of her life and um she's since passed away and like like with the grace hospice they will. They would just come and visit, like you know, at the assisted living. It wasn't like all of a sudden my dad had to move out when he needed more care and move into a nursing home. They were able to bring the extra care into the assisted living, and so that would be one thing. As I'm hearing, 
you know, as people are listening and thinking about how am I going to, you know, care for my aging, my aging parents. And these are things to think about. The assisted living that my dad lived in, that was a seven-minute drive. And so I have just fun stories, you know, to that where he couldn't figure out how to turn the TV off. And you didn't, you wanted him to still have his dignity. So it was like, you know, I'd say, like, go, hey, go drive up to grandpa's and turn that TV off. Now, the thing with the assisted living that he was in, we were allowed to walk in and out of that assisted living 24-7. We were never denied access to get, to get into there and to see, and to see him. I would have to say that's something to really look for. They did have security at the front. I think I had a fob or something that I could get in, like, for security when I could, you know, just go in and see them if it was midnight or, you know, I didn't have to do that. But, you know, just if you would call and we would just go down there. And, um, but, yeah, it was just I'm so glad that he ended up moving to the assistant living and instead of, living, you know, on his own until he had gone down far enough where he had moved into a nursing home. And a lot of the abuses that we hear happening, we hear more of them happening in nursing homes versus assisted living. Do you have any, any like, insight on an assisted living versus a nursing home and when is the right time to make those decisions? Sure. Well, I can add a few different ideas to that piece and maybe even a third. Um, yeah, uh, the home care, too. Because, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that was what I was able to do with a grace. Um, not every hospice agency has this um, added benefit, but with a grace, they have a, a branch called Age at Home. And I, when I worked with a grace, I was able to work with their in-home care team um, supporting both um, individuals that were just living independently at home as well as individuals that were on hospice that needed additional support of another caregiver. Um, So I really love uh, when it is safe and appropriate to encourage people to stay, stay at home as long as they can because there is so much connection to comfort and security and happiness in our homes. Um, but then uh, I can see there are so many reasons why assisted living can be a really great choice. I mean, from my family, we, over the Christmas time, helped my grandma move into an assisted living facility after, oh, goodness, 25, 30 years in an independent apartment. Now, she was blessed with the ability to just move across the street and stay within the same complex. So she's still receiving a lot of the benefits and community support that she had. Um, So I love to encourage that when at all possible, to stay within as close to your community as possible. Um, And then sometimes nursing care is really the main um, option for someone. And a lot of the times that's when it's just not as practical for someone to be in assisted living or at home. Um, but there's so many great options through home support agencies now that you can get almost all of the needs of a nursing home in your home. Um, and places like a grace can help set that up. So I was, I've been we, really blessed to be in some great situations with families, both in all of those scenarios. And it's all about making things as happy and comfortable as possible, wherever you are. You know what? And talking about those agencies, I have, I have had positive 
interactions. The one actually in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, of all places, it was called Home Instead. And that is where some of the most amazing caregivers came that were helping with Bob and Harvey. Uh, I'm still friends with them to this day, and they were wonderful. And then here in Madison, we had senior helpers that were helping, mm-hmm. you know, with with um with my with my dad. Now I usually the stories that we hear of guardianship, it's usually not those secondary care you know, those support care situations that are coming in that are doing these kind of things. I'm sure there's some of them that are unscrupulous. But that is a good point and I forget about those. They're it it's um they're a little bit more expensive. You can usually hire them just for a few hours to come over and help, you know, with like basic laundry, maybe bathing and things like that. Or it's there 24-7. And, it, yeah, it definitely can be expensive. I don't know if some of those things are covered under insurance or, or whatnot, but they definitely were, you know, huge. My dad had gotten to the point where he just kept falling out of bed, and we actually had to hire somebody and just to sit there. And if he started to wake up, they would – help him, you know, get to the restroom or something. And that, you know, kept his dignity that, you know, what what are you supposed to do? And you couldn't have him falling out of bed because mm-hmm. he had a bone cancer and his bones had become very, very, um, very fragile. And sure. a fall would, could be catastrophic for him. And so basically he had 24-7, they sat in a corner while he was sleeping and they just watched him. And the minute that he would start to wake up because he wouldn't push the button because he was a little bit too stubborn, <laughs> there they were, sure. and they would help him, you know, get up and go use the restroom, and he had his dignity. Now, I'm guessing that some people probably are thinking, and this is this is the jaded part of me, oh, but that's money I could inherit. We can't pay for those things. <sighs> Come on, people. But, you know, it, it happens. It's It's their money, and it's their for them and for their health right up to the end. And if that's the kind of care that they need to have at the end, I think people need to honor and respect that. And I know one thing that we had talked about is that no one should be made or euthanized or made to, you know, we talk about guardian. I mean, people believe that the guardian sometimes hastening the death of their loved ones and that no matter who you are and if you have dementia, that your life still matters. And I thought, like, you had a few beautiful things to say about that. Well, absolutely. I mean, I as you bring that up, I can vividly see one of the people that I cared for a couple years ago. And I really struggled watching her family member, uh, quote, unquote, care for her or not care for her and watch her um, deteriorate from lack of care and try to give glimmers of hope and uh, it's really it's interesting to me to see um, really how we all are connected and what can come from really genuine heart-centered care. And um, it, it's really brought me to where I am today and has um, really shaped my entire life. So um, I don't know. I've really been grateful to see people of all ages and abilities and all um, 
uh, or disabilities, I guess we could say. Um, and I've been really comfortable with interacting with them for my whole life. And um, whether it was someone in early years of life or I think the oldest person I've cared for is about 106. And you can learn from someone no matter what stage they are in their life. And even if it's the last day that they have, um, we can make it a, a beautiful day. And I'm really grateful that I've been able to connect with some people even in those last days and um, witness some of the miracles that can happen in those times and really take those with me as I continue to help other caregivers because uh, I've mentioned I'm I'm relatively young and even though I'm young, I've been physically caring for others for over 25 years in a paid manner. And that's a lot of years to be a caregiver. And I've seen a lot, but I've also, I've hurt myself physically on the job. And it's given me some time to shift perspective and really think about how I can best utilize my gifts to help others. So that's really where I am now is recognizing that I have some power in my voice and that can be powerful too in helping caregivers. What I love about our conversation is when you, what you just said is being powerful in our voice because you have this beautiful, powerful, positive message that you're sharing. And I hope everyone is just getting something out of this and just enjoying it. And unfortunately, Marty and I don't have the most positive message to share air all the time and yet we do have a powerful voice and we're out there and we're telling what's going on exposing the corruption the stories are always horrifying I've you know personally experienced these you know these horrifying things and so but you're right we have a voice and we can say and one of the things that keeps me going is I after Harvey had passed away, there was two different people, two pe- different people that didn't know each other that had called me, and they said, you know, cause now that and I think it was the day after, like they didn't mess around, we're gonna get in her ear. Has you know you you have to keep talking about this and you have to keep going, not for you. There's nothing more you can do for Harvey. Like he's he's gone, but because someday, and this is what they both of them said, someday. Somebody who doesn't even know your name or know who you are will live and they will not experience what you did because I ran my mouth. And that's what keeps me going is that someday somebody will never even know that Marty and I did a thing to help them, but they'll live free. And I, mm-hmm. and you're so right. Our voices are so powerful and we to telling the stories and yet, you know, on the positive message and how to be that caregiver and how to allow someone to age gracefully and with dignity. And yeah. and that's how everyone, and that's how it should be for everybody. Absolutely. So I, Absolutely. Yeah. I thank you for that. Like, and I just love that Marty and I were just saying, you know, we can't always have all the negative things. There has to be, there has to be some beautiful things too. And it's just that as a society, we have to stay positive. We can't keep going down this corruption line. It, it, our country is going to destroy if this is how we're going to continue to treat people. And we have, you know, the bad things. And you look at, it goes throughout history and you see, like, 
you can't, you, we will not get away with that behavior forever. And we need to stop and we need to start caring about people. And it's always money and greed, corruption, power. It has, it's like gotten into all sorts of parts of society. And I just appreciate you and your positive look on everything and just taking care of the elderly, educating people. This is how you can be a caregiver. It's so amazing, and I can only imagine how rewarding it is. Thank I'm you so much. Go ahead. I'm wondering if while we have you on the phone, if anyone who's listening, if you have some ideas how they can start doing some of these things in their community, even if they don't have the educational background as you do. Like I, when you were talking about your coffee community, like, hey, it's time to maybe start drinking some coffee again in our communities. Is there anything, I mean, we have listeners, they're, they're all over the world right now listening. What can someone without any education do in their community for the elderly? Well, I think one of the best things we can do is just like what we're doing right now is sit down and have a conversation. And you were mentioning coffee. Pick your warm beverage of choice and take some time to listen um, without any agenda because what can happen through the power of conversation is really powerful. And we have such a society that is focused on rushing and getting everything accomplished. But when we take that time to slow down and hear um, history or wisdom or tips, I think that can be really, really powerful. And that's something I've been trying to embrace over especially the last six months or year um, is taking that time to listen to my elders and just absorb their, their, their wisdom and their power. Speaking of wisdom, there are so many cool stories. I know when I would go visit Bob and Harvey, there was – I actually got to meet two World War II veterans and hear the stories. One stormed the beach of Normandy and first wave, and he lived. I had that story told to me in my ear, and my son was with me. The wisdom that the elderly have and the stories that they have to tell. And, you know, there's one thing that I noticed when, you know, because my parents were older when they had me. So I'm young, and I'm hanging out with, you know, all the, you know, the senior citizens and, happy hour pretty happy around senior citizens day because every day is the weekend so it was just always just magical to be around everybody but the one thing you know you'd start to ask people like in conversation i think when we're younger the conversation is oh what do you what do you do for a living but want to know what that was never ever brought up nobody cared when i would start talking to elderly people it was always about their family their childhood or military service no one said a word like, oh, yeah, I was the CEO of this company or, yeah, I was a lawyer. I was a... They never talked about those things. And I, re- I noticed that, and it really struck me as, God, pay attention. This is not mm-hmm. what they're talking about all the time is what they did to earn their money. They're talking about their family, their childhood, their children, a military service, which I believe somehow I'm not in the military, but I can only imagine there's there must be some kind of bond that is just like a family bond when people are in the military together. Have you noticed anything if the conversation with the elderly that would be like the same like that? 
Well, there's so much pride in all of those things that you bring up. And some of those things are the things that we hold on to um, even when something like dementia can grasp our, our, our mind. Um, having all of those pieces like our family or um, military service, there's, for some people it's music or art, those different pieces of their life that brought them joy. It wasn't their, you know, nine to five. Those, that's typically what brought them stress and probably contributed to the dementia. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I've heard what J-O-B job just overbroke. Yeah, getting the stress. Well, and it brings up a really interesting point of, you know, recognizing that life is fragile and sometimes we do need to embrace that pause and making sure we have some joy in that time. So whether it's, you know, crossing something off of our bucket list or taking that trip that you're always questioning you know, make sure you take time to have joy and happiness and, you know, balance all the dark and evil that is out in the world and make sure you're, you know, refilling your cup as the caregiver, not just emptying it by taking care of someone else. And that's so true. I think a caregiver just, it's like everything is about others because they're caring for others and it can be, really bad if you don't do self-care and so often people that are caregivers they put their own selves last but it's kind of like you know when you're on an airplane and they always tell you when you know if there's a child in your lap and the oxygen bags drop you know put it on you first and then put it on your child and see most people wouldn't think that way they'd be like I gotta get this oxygen mask on my child first but they tell you, nope, put it on you first, and then, because you're the caregiver, then you're fully doing good, and then you put it on your child. And I think when people are caregivers, they aren't taking care of themselves. Would you agree? Absolutely. The oxygen mask is, like, so far in the back of the room, they've completely forgotten about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I've I've seen it even in myself um, when I've been both a professional caregiver and a family caregiver. I really commonly put the people that I'm caring for before myself. And it's really hard to switch that um, dynamic. But once you do, it's so, it's a relief almost. Um, because then there isn't so much of caregiver burden and caregiver fatigue. Now, not only when I think of a lot of people who listen to the show, so not only are they caregivers trying to be caregivers, they are their loved ones in guardianship. They're battling a court. It's called uh, legal abuse syndrome. It's a form of PTSD. So this is heightened. It's like caregiver syndrome times 100 the amount of stress that so many people, because right now they're in it. They're listening to this show. They want to know what are some solutions, what can I do, and they are not taking care of themselves. And actually at the NASCA website, it's, they have like the list of things that, that happen with guardianship. A lot of people, the stress can overwhelm them. A lot of people actually like get cancer because mm-hmm. the stress and everything and it's this is for real and I know so many people right now are listening and they're so stressed out and I totally get it this is 
this is your world, this is your loved one, and they are trapped in, in something diabolical, how in the world can we get the people who are listening, who are in, I mean, their, their world is catastrophic, to take care of themselves? Because I know that they're not. And they have to because sure. it's that oxygen mask. You have to put it on you before you can help the other person. And they're they're not putting their oxygen mask on. And what would be your what would be your advice to that person who is not taking care of themselves? Well, I think a little steps, and even if it's starting with like something as simple as breathing, um, it's huge so far that I've gone to the point of getting a tattoo with a breathing technique on my arm because taking that time to breathe can help us in so many ways and it can help us build better habits that can help us as caregivers to make sure we're being realistic and taking care of ourselves and knowing that we're doing really the best that we can so you know if you're in the middle of a crisis and you take just a minute to breathe before you respond and kind of think about how you're going to respond in a healthy manner and not feed into that energy of fighting, that can be a really great first step. So, you know, thinking about some mindful breathing or um, if, you know, taking that step a bit further, sometimes just taking a break, whether it's, you know, five minutes alone to, you know, not talk or respond to anyone or, you know, not even look at the phones because we're all attached to our devices these days, Um, or getting some assistance with, like, maybe respite care or um, adult day center, whatever the appropriate respite care would be, so that you do get some time for yourself because taking those breaks is really important for resetting and making sure we're, you know, alert and attentive to all the important things that we're tackling as caregivers. Yeah, I would have to say that is that is really hard to do because the stress and you're trying to do everything. You're trying to make dinner. You're getting the kids to school. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, helping mom and dad. And, the, um, you know, and even as an advocate, this is one thing that I have learned to do is that I can't, I can't focus on this every day because it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of negativity because, there's so many bad things that are happening to these families and it, I mean, it's angering. And so we, you know, I have to, I have to set it aside and I bake, I bake cakes, you know, I just go and I bake or, you know, find something Mm -hmm. that you enjoy to do that's creative and you, and you just have to set it aside. And there's still a lot of people, their loved ones have passed away, but they're still in this fight and it is Mm -hmm. all consuming because you were wronged and you're, you want justice and you're wronged and you're angry, but you mm-hmm. can't let that anger fall up in your, it, you can't hold it onto it because what it feels like, it's like in your gut and this anger, mm-hmm. you need to just release it because you know what? They win a second time. If they get yeah. you, if they, they just took down your family and now they're coming for you and you have a little bit more control over that one if you can somehow be able to just let go of some of that anger and just not think about it just have to walk away and not always talk about it I just have to say you know I have my friend my friend Austin and um in her in 
in in her opinion, her mother was murdered by the um, Otholes that we talk about, and those are the same people that you know messed with my uncle and the 200 other documents that we have. And we had a phone call the other day, and we didn't even talk about this stuff. We are friends, and we just talked about our friendship and the things that are going on in our life. And Marty and I do that a lot. We'll talk on, we don't talk about this stuff all the time. We talk about our friendship, and I, I hope that people are out there, you know, building friendships. And when you do talk to some of the other people who are going through what you're going through, sometimes don't talk about all this stuff because it's so consuming and it's so soul sucking and it's so awful. And sometimes you just have to give it a break and you have to not think about it because you can't let it consume you. You just can't. And the same, you know, caregiving and fighting guardians and judges being dragged into court all the time. You just have to sometimes find some way to turn it off or it's going to affect your health. And a way to yeah, replenish, yeah. or a way to refill that, that depletion. Yeah. And that can be through, like, getting outdoors. That's why I a big part of my life is spending time out in nature. So I'm getting not only vitamin D, but I am in the woods, which really is – it yeah. relieves stress for me, and it does for a lot of other individuals. But, you know, connecting with music and art or taking time to read a book, there's all sorts of different ways that you can replenish yourself without exerting extra energy or too much extra energy or even things like yoga yeah. and meditation. So there's a lot of different yeah. tools that we can utilize. There's, there sure is. And do you know of any resources that if someone was struggling with just trying to, you know, get some calm, that they, like, you know, like a local library, like what, where would someone sure. go to just kind of help themselves out there? The library is always a great, and I believe I mentioned a little while ago the Aging and Disability Resource Center. If you're in Wisconsin, you can find those at dhs.com wisconsin.gov, and those are county or community-based, so you can find specific services that are available in your communities, Um, and senior centers are always a great place if you are looking for different types of connection and engagement, because that is, I think, one of the things that helps with longevity is having community engagement. My grandma was volunteering up until a year ago. (laughs) So I I highly uh, promote community engagement. Um, And then if you're concerned about Alzheimer's or dementia, you can go to alz.org. And through there we have things like the caregiver center or the safety center um, or different local support groups that you can utilize um, through the Alzheimer's Association. Now, now, here, now, many people who are listening are very leery of, like, trusting government services and things like that because of what the courts have done. Are the courts mm-hmm. in any way connected to these services that, you know, that people can utilize? These are more supplementary services. So these would be things like helping you get uh, connected with Meals on Wheels if you're not able to cook at home for yourself anymore. Or maybe you need different resources in getting um, 
uh, home adaptations. It's truly like a resource center to help you get connected to different community resources that are available. Um, I know that's vague, but they do offer so many different services. We could probably talk for an hour just on the Aging and Disability Resource Center. <laughs> I, and, you know, yeah. I know this is here in Wisconsin. I'm hoping that these sorts of things are in other states. And and for that, we don't know. I do know this about Wisconsin is, so at one point, the uh, the former assistant attorney general of the state of Wisconsin was my personal attorney on all this kind of stuff. And he had told me that it was Wisconsin who filed the lawsuit against Reader's Digest because of elder abuse. So it was that, do you remember the sweepstakes? I don't know, I might be showing my age, but do you remember they would mail the sweepstakes out and you had to buy all these magazines or they made you think that you had to buy all these magazines Mm -hmm. and anyway, and you were going to win Ed McMahon $25 million or whatever. So the state of Wisconsin actually sued Reader's Digest on behalf of the elderly, the elderly in Wisconsin. And it ended up, I believe it became some kind of a federal thing. So kudos to Wisconsin for, you know, watching out for the elderly. They don't have everything right because I definitely could uh, bring up some bad stuff. <laughs> like a, a certain bill that they passed a while ago. But we, we're we not going to negative today. So no, we're just we're talking about, about, the, about the positive. <laughs> yeah. We're talking positive. And, you know, I just think that there has been a, a lot of nice, a lot of good things. In Dane County, they rotate judges. So I don't know if people who are li- like in probate, the judges rotate. So if you go in the first time, and you see, you know, Judge A, the next time you go to court, you're going to see Judge B, and Judge B is just going to read the notes, and then Judge C, and Dane County has, I'm sure, not just one judge. And why this can't be going on all over the place, because when you rotate the judges, it's going to be harder to create the cabal that they create, you know, to do all this guardianship abuse, because it's you would have to get every single judge in on everything and it's it's always harder the more people you want to get involved in your fraud it's going to be harder to pull it off and so rotating the judges is a really great thing we do know of a down a you know they're scoundrel there in portage county but they only have one judge and we've had had that family on the show and so because it's these smaller counties sometimes that's where the corruption leads but really I think we've done a lot of good things in Wisconsin, and the fact that Marty and I have been asked to be a speaker, and we can't say what it is because of the glory hogs that will go try and be the speakers themselves, and oh my gosh, you cannot believe what poor Marty, they just, they just hunt her down and want to, and they want to do all her, all her things. They just, they want to do all her speaking engagements when they're not invited. It's so crazy. Marty, are you are you are you still with us? No, I left. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I feel, I I feel like it's I it's kind of weird for me that it's just me talking. I'm like I'm kind of missing my Marty. Marty, <laughs> do you what do you have any sort of like um, community center where you've moved to? Because it's a pretty it's a smaller rural area. No, no, there's nothing like that here. Um, in fact, there's very little here. Uh, 
that you know that would facilitate activities for the elderly or help for them or anything. Uh, these people are very family centered, and so you know uh, that old saying about the people from down south are proud of their crazies. They drag them right out in front of everybody, and um, yeah. but it's it's just you know they do tend to keep them at home. Although I do see a movement towards. Uh, they're being encouraged to put them in nursing homes and that kind of thing. And sometimes nursing homes are, are what's needed. The the attention and care right. is not, they're not able to do it at home. But too many times we've seen that it's just a, a terrible end to things. And, um, you know, yeah. we get reports all the time of of um, caregivers in these homes, assistants and all this, uh, beating the patients. They got them on film, uh, abusing them in numbers of ways. So it's nice to hear somebody that actually honors these people and understands what a treasure they are, because they are. Um, yeah, at my age, I know my granddaughters are always asking me to, I used to, when they were smaller, tell them stories, you know, about my grandma and, you know, how they came to be where they were and where they were from and, you know, you know anything. And they want me to write all those down for them. And, you know, it's it, that history that history of who they are, Beautiful. where they came from, that's important. That's important. Yeah. It's important to kids. And um, so, you know, and I think that, and, and Valerie, if, if you think I'm off base here, you be sure and say so. I mean, seriously. But I think no. encouraging the elderly to talk about their history, who their family was. You know, if Absolutely. they did anything, you know, I think that's important. It's not only important for the kids but it's important for them to tell it and know that they'll be remembered. You know, um, oh, sure. I just do. And, um, but I, I wish more people keeping people at home, but sometimes you just can't. But other times oh. there's people we've been so conditioned to think that if I keep going back to here, what was it about a year and a half ago, they were polling people on the kids, mostly young people on the street, asking them, what did they think should be done with the elderly? And almost without exception, these young people said, well, you ought to just go ahead and kill them because they've already had a long life and now they're just using up stuff we need. My response to this was, all that stuff you're talking about, I helped put it there. And now you want to use it? You know what I'm saying? It's just, But they have been conditioned to think this. To think this way, that this is okay, and um, that the elderly people have no value. We do. We do. If you're blind and you can't see it, that's your problem. But we do have value, it's, and that value may be nothing else but our history and remembering our history. And Because um, if you don't know where you came from, you sure don't know where you're going. And it just... I, I don't know, and it's so nice to hear somebody talk in such a positive manner about what you're doing. You obviously enjoy what you do, and you do well, it I well. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. And I've had the the beauty of having some really dark and tragic times in my life, um, both in terms of loss and um, family dynamics and abuse. And I could be very depressed, miserable, jaded, um, but I recognized how that was destroying my health. And I took some time and made some really 
profound life changes um, and uh-huh. in the process did some traveling and uh, I spent time in Puerto Rico and that um, has really changed my life and how I am going to continue to offer the things that I offer because I recognize how what we have doesn't always equate to what we can offer. Richness exactly. in money doesn't always equate to richness in lifestyle. So um, yeah. I'm really grateful to be where I am, and I want to help others recognize um, the beauty that is a part of life and hopefully leave it a little yeah. bit better than I found it. <laughs> you know, it, well, I think you will, but like at my age, some of the fondest memories, most comforting, loving memories I have is sitting with my grandparents and, mm-hmm. you know, listening to their, their stories or just talking with them. And um, and my yeah. grandma always holding my hand, you know, and uh, she oh. always had to hold my hand. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they had a pet name for me that nobody else has ever used. And it didn't, and it wasn't you dummy either. And um but it oh, they just I hear had it. firefly. And oh, um, I was always I was always chasing fireflies out in the they live Mar- in a rural Marty's area. Marty's a redhead. Valley Pride is yeah. Marty's a redhead. <laughs> oh well she was. She's 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 gray headed now. And uh there's few red strands left, but not many, boy. Ooh, this stuff I look like a walking cotton swab. And uh, it just, <laughs> no. no. I just, I thought about coloring it, but my goodness, I don't know that I can afford that much hair color to keep it up. And um, <laughs> it's just, it's just terrible. But, um, and then, uh, you know, I tend to be a little darker complected and have these light blue eyes. So it's more, and my hair is shock white. And Ooh. as it coming, I look like an alien. It looks like my eyes no, are going to jump out of my head. No, you look hot. We know. Yeah, I look like I got you it. Gotta I need embrace to cool the off. natural beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a lot of embracing <laughs> needs to be done here. <laughs> but, you know, when you yeah, salary, that's for when another night. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> when when you're out talking with groups and people. And everything. And my my particular concern is the younger people. If there's any in attendance, to what's their response to what you're talking about? Well, what I'm really excited. I mean, I do te- talk and teach to younger individuals. And what really is important is recognizing that if we eat a little healthier and make some lifestyle changes, that can really impact our brain yeah. health and our our yes. general health. Um, so I always want to try to share that, but also recognizing um, just how sensitive a, a noggin we have and our bodies aren't something that we can just use and abuse and, you right. know, pay to have someone repair forever. I mean, we're not to that yeah. technology yet, I don't think. Um, yeah. So that's something that will be really interesting to see in the years to come is how individuals and probably like their 30s and 40s and 50s um, approach aging and really recognizing that if we take care of our bodies, we can live longer, happier lives. And um, 
I think, you know, my grandma has been a great example of that. Uh, She's done a really great job of, you know, living simply, eating healthily, um, being active and nothing wild, just, you know, walking and being part of the community. And, you know, hopefully in three weeks we'll be celebrating her 100th birthday. So that is just wild. Take care of yourself and you get a gift like that, I guess. (laughs) You know, I keep telling my two granddaughters, uh, both of them, I, I had to work hard all my life. I mean, hard. <laughs> and at this age, I'm paying the price on all of that. And I've told my granddaughters, I said, right now, you may think you can lift that big 50-pound box or you can do this or you can do something else. But everything you do like that as a woman affects your body. And it may not affect you right now, but later on, your body will Absolutely. remind you that you did this. And there are things you are meant to do and things you are not meant to do. And mm-hmm. you you have to keep that in mind because everything that happens, every bump, every too much exertion, uh, pushing yourself too far, does a little bit of damage. And it all culminates. It all collects. And as women, you know, we have to we have to be more careful. Um, I don't want to be like a man. I don't want to be like a man. But I've had to work hard like a man. I had to support my kids, and mm-hmm. it was just me. And um, so it's been, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I wonder. It's, and, and from my own perspective, at my age, I wonder what's going to happen to me. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. hey, wait a minute. And I have promised death to anybody who put, tried to put me in a nursing home. And um, I told them I'll break out and come where you live. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they know I will. And uh, But it's just, you know, what I'm saying is I, I live in fear of that. And I think many older people do. Anybody over 60 mm-hmm. um, is looking at this thinking, ooh, this could be me. And I think that's what's driving a lot of people. There is a subconscious fear that what they are fighting, what they are seeing, is their future and there's not enough people around like you who have this positive attitude do a great job of, of taking care of people uh instilling hope in people you know mm-hmm. and letting them know they're still valuable uh there's just it, there needs to be more there needs to be yeah, more I so i hope you keep talking and you know going out there and trying you. to teach people because that's a very honorable thing. I don't say that to too many people. Um, in fact, I can't think of anybody else. Uh, but anyway, it just, well, maybe cause. But, um, <laughs> you know, this is just, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really inspired by this. And I think we ought to try to work with you to develop local plans in our own communities, set something up like what you're doing. And, um, that's an amazing idea. Yeah. Like, get like, because like, that's so amazing. You know, Sharon DeLobo was talking about, do we remember when she has her books yeah. and doing the classes? And we had, we actually had a meeting with Ron Johnson of Wisconsin about uh-huh. it. And Sharon was at the, we had like a Zoom call and Sharon was on the meeting and everything. And it went really well. But COVID has just really um, yeah. not, not, been, not been good for us. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a, great idea because she's already yeah um there's already like some sort of a training stuff like already done and uh-huh. for Valerie to come in like just how to start a coffee clutch yeah mm-hmm. I 
how many people would just love to start a coffee clutch? The other thing that yeah. I'm going to mention as a baker and a cook, I am also a cook, is you need to go find grandma right now and you need to cook with grandma and you need to bake oh, with yeah. grandma because yes. we, oh my gosh, we're going to, there's so much culture in food and I've, I've so often wanted to do like a food show where it's baking with grandma or cooking with grandma mm-hmm. and you just go and you cook with them and they're going to tell uh-huh. you about the culture that they grew up in, where this recipe came from. They probably learned it from their grandmother. So mm-hmm. that recipe could be going back into the 1800s yeah. now and with mm-hmm. the different cultures that just live in our country right now i think it would be fascinating no one's ever yeah. taken oh, up on the idea but yeah one of these days it will happen well one and of the I things just think that, that would be so cool i do too to tell you the truth but yeah. one of the things that bothers me is there are pockets of places where there are activities for elderly people. One of the hardest things for me to have adjusted to was retiring from work. I'm not used to that. I, I'm used to mm-hmm. working all day, sometimes, you know, two two full-time jobs to keep going and to suddenly be yeah. doing nothing. And, I mean, I have my interests. I paint. You know, I do drawings and paintings. Um I write. I have and these radio like shows. And she's like really amazing artist. <laughs> yeah, that. well, you just think so. Well, anyway, but I have <laughs> these things, and and I, you know, and I do them. But it is the sense of isolation, because as mm-hmm. you age, your access to the community dwindles. That can be because of uh, mobility. It can be because you. You know, just don't know how to do it, and it can be because there is nothing. And like where I'm at here, there, there's nothing. And um, you know, I don't get into the church thing. So um, me and God have a personal relationship, and we keep it that way. And mm-hmm. so it just, um, you know, it, I think more. I think a lot of people who slip into like dementia, I think a lot of it is their brain idols. And I Absolutely. think a lot of times if you looked at their history, these were, on a day-to-day basis, very active, busy people. And then suddenly there was nothing. And it's a void. And it's like your brain just kind of shuts down. And um, and the, I, think I mean, do you was, think I'm wrong uh, on that? No, yeah. that's almost like textbook what happened with my grandmother and the pandemic. Um she wasn't allowed or wasn't able to volunteer and connect with her community in the way that she used to and wasn't engaging in the same ways. And within a year, she started showing really significant signs of dementia. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, and you know, and I I don't want to get into a COVID discussion, but this is such a farce and it has bombed. They've been exposed on one end to the other. But one of the worst results of all of this being played on the public is that we've got the suicide rate of kids going through the roof. We've got elder people that are absolutely dropping from isolation, from having no contact, um, from not being able to get out, you know, even walk down the street. You couldn't do anything. Um, I think... I could blow on this one, but I'll pass that up. Um, 
but it's his and if you've got elderly people for those listening and and if you're listening and you're part of our audience i know you're already doing it or you wouldn't be here um but encourage other people to get out and and talk to these elderly people you know i've seen people sitting like on a park bench and if you go sit down Mm -hmm. by them they'll start talking and um Mm -hmm. and they'll talk and talk and talk and talk and i'll just sit and listen 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 and um you know eventually they have to go and everything you know but it's you can tell this has been a a, almost like a relief um Mm -hmm. that you're able to do you you understand what i'm saying and absolutely um, well there's so much power in being able to share our story even if it's a small uh amount of time and a small connection but you never know what that uh, energy exchange is going to spark in the other person, you know, because right. they could have been having that hour break from their super stressful life yeah. at home as a caregiver, mm-hmm. and you just right. gave them an, a, a bit of time to share and let yes. go. And, or, and you know, who knows? Who knows? I think the way society is today, um, we are actually in some level isolated from one another. Uh, oh, so much. Yeah, we are isolated there. When we talk about community, it's more a ge- geographical location than a concept. You know, um, people don't understand mm-hmm. anymore what community means. And um, mm-hmm. you know, like you're, you're talking about your grandma, you know, doing community service. Uh, it, it, most people wouldn't dream of it. Wouldn't dream of it. Mm-mm. And, um, no. you know, that she would do it's that is really something. It's a punishment for some people these days. <laughs> yes. And they've made it one. Yes. They've made it one. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but it, you know, it, it maybe organizing in your area just to get together at a park yeah. in summer. You know, just to yeah. get together. If you're, you know, elderly and you can get there, if you need a ride, we'll try to get one for you. And just maybe have a picnic and hang out. Yeah anything to get these people out get them socialized you know there's any number of things we can do hold on ladies we have got a caller here hang on a second hold on there we go come on you can do it there you go area code 703 you got a question or comment um i have a comment marty um i was calling listening to you talking about dementia um and you know Uh that's really near and dear to my heart and i just wanted to add that when my dad started getting the symptoms of it, I didn't realize that that's what it was. And oh, wow. after he, when we did find out that that's what it was, he went down very, very quickly within a matter of months. Although he had had the symptoms earlier, I just didn't know. We thought it was a UTI. Yeah. He did have a UTI at one point, but we kept thinking well, he's dehydrated, he has a UTI. We didn't know what to look for. And right. he fell. And after he fell, I don't know if he hit his head, he wound up breaking his arm. I found out later that if a patient or a person falls, that if they have dementia oncoming, that will make it progress very, very quickly. Oh, wow. Uh, Valerie, the lady talking is Marcia Joyner, and she's our host here on TS Radio for uh, Betrayed by Hospice, and she covers cases of hospice intentionally euthanizing people because um, they get paid to do it. But anyway, um, 
Dents who's speaking here, and she went through a big ordeal with her dad, who passed away recently. <laughs> and uh, but she right. kept Marcia kept her dad home with her, and cared okay. for him. And yeah, and uh, yeah. so he was it, um, just he was almost really when we lost someone him. with dementia. But it is it's debilitating, and you don't realize it. And afterwards you think, well, you know, if I had known that, I would have done this. Um, And so as a caregiver, what you were just saying is it's very exhaustive. But I think one of the things with a person that has dementia is that we have to keep in mind is patience. Patience. Yeah. Because they don't understand, we don't understand, and a lot of times the doctors are not giving you the um, prognosis and telling you that this person has dementia unless you come right out and ask them. Mm-hmm. So I just think education is key on this and showing a tremendous amount of patience with the individual. Yeah. I know, listening, I talked with Marcia during this time, and, you know, what always struck me, Marcia, was I could hear the strain and the grief in your voice of him drifting away, and you couldn't pull him back. You know, right. you try to pull him back, right. and you, you couldn't get him. And um, so it was, you know, it's a difficult situation all the way around. But like I say, you kept your dad with you at home and cared for him. And um, and that should happen more often, you know. Uh, it just, I know it was hard on you. I know it was, it was. just ex- excruciatingly hard on you. But not being with him would have been worse. And, um, right. you know, that's just the way I see it. But <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Marcia, thank you for calling in. Oh, uh, thank you for listening. Hi, Kyle. Yeah. So thank hey, you. Marcia. I'm enjoying listening. I haven't heard the whole program, but I've been hearing bits and pieces. So I just wanted to chime in. So um, well, thank good you. information. Thank you, Valerie. Thank you, Marty. Thank you, Thank Kyle. you. Yep. Okay. Thanks, All right. Marcia. Thanks, Marcia. Yeah, she does a heck of a show. Um, uh, that thing, it, yeah. it's a no-holds-barred, but it isn't done like a shock jock thing. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's not sensationalized. It's just here's the facts. This is what happened, and this is For what sure. they're doing. And uh, that just, uh, and on my own, the hospice murdered my sister two years ago, May, uh, my older sister. She had dementia. Mm-hmm. And they put her in hospice. Four days later, she's dead. And um, uh huh. And yeah, I was I was telling Valerie how how blessed we are to have a Grace Hospice here in Madison. There's a couple Mm -hmm. families who have donated millions and millions of dollars between the two of them. (laughs) What is Don and Marilyn? um, Was it Anderson? Anyway, there's two big Mm -hmm. buildings, and then. They'll do, they go, I think they go all over Dane County, and they even have support. Like, my dad got to meet with, after my mom died, he had a counselor that would come meet with him on a weekly basis. They have programs for the children. I mean, like, you know, your mom's, you know, this just happened to your mom or your parents are in hospice. They have so many programs for like under the sun at this Grace Hospice, and there's so many volunteers, and Valerie is one of them, and that's how they're able to staff it is because of the volunteers, and they're not having to pay out all those 
wages and trying to make payroll by drugging people to you know into submission they are able to give all the care services and the community just rallies around our hospice it's probably the yeah. last best one in the united states because they've all okay. gone to pot you know well you know oh. uh the the thing with with dementia is um you have to take the good with the bad and one of the things with my sister um, she was four years to the day older than me, and she called me one day. They had moved her from Kentucky back to Iowa, and she was totally, you know, dislocated there. But she called me the one day, and she said, you're not going to believe this. And I said, what? She said, there is a fire hydrant out here in my front yard. She had big sliding glass doors on this townhome she had. And I said, oh, and she said, I said, what's it doing? She said, nothing, but she said, Marty, there's naked men dancing all around it. I said, ain't you just lucky? And, <laughs> but, you know, and I had to laugh because it, it was funny. You know what I'm saying? Because the way she said it, mm-hmm. she said, I can't believe it. She said, everything's just flopping in the wind. And, but, <laughs> and I, you know what I'm saying? You had to know my sister. Um, it was just funny. And, um. It, it, you know, there are moments when things that they, these people with dementia say that there is humor in it, and uh, whether they intended yeah. it or not, but you see a little piece of that personality that was there. The, the one yeah. thing I knew in that moment was if she had been all together and this had actually happened, she'd have said the same thing. And, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I would have responded the same way. She'd have probably been out there with her camera taking pictures knowing her. But it just, um, you know what I'm saying? You see these little glimpses of who that person was. And she yeah. had such a wry sense of humor anyway. And um, so, you know, they're in there. You just have to you just have to wait and hope they come back out even briefly. You know? I've, even, even, heard, it. I've even heard it be said, said they're halfway to heaven. That's why they're not truly focused down here. And we don't know what yeah, they're seeing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Well, and the idea of joining them wherever they are in that journey is one of the really powerful tools that a caregiver can have, because Mm -hmm. it takes away or shifts that perspective, so you can say, okay, you know what? I see where what the emotion is that's leading to this. I get it now. Yeah. And I, you don't have to be as reactionary. You can, you yeah. know, laugh along with them or, you know, yep. honor why they could be upset and crying and then try yes. to help them from there and not yes. make it a, a bigger issue. Than it not make, make it a confrontation or, you know, a, mm-hmm. a, you know, a point of contention. That's just going to make you it just have to. Yes. You just have to roll with it. Girls, we got about three minutes left here. Valerie, this has been a, wonderful hour and a half and i hope to have you back again cause great find um well, and i'd like to hear more you. from you yeah well we were honored to have you um we'll be doing more on this and hopefully we can get some input from you which way to go and how to do it but everybody mm-hmm. uh, i would share the link for this show with others who might be going through uh this with their family like it said marcia kept her dad home with her it, it took a toll on her it did it did it but not nearly what would have been taken from her had he not been with her had she not cared for him and they went through a lot and um and you want to keep that in mind once they're gone you have to look back and think what did i do 
What did I do? And um, what if it was me? So, you know, think about things that way. I want to remind everybody, these shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the original Whistleblower Summit this year, July 29th and 30th in Washington, D.C. We will be there, of course, with our panel, and we'll drag as many of you with us as we can. (laughs) And uh, with that, I think we're going to have to sign off again, Valerie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, this thank was you. really good. Yeah. Yes, thank you. And Kaz, thank you, Kaz. Thank you, I didn't know you could talk so much. <laughs> <laughs> you trained me well. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Usually I have to send her a text, Valerie, and say, speak up, say something. Right. Oh, oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm texting you instead. Marty. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> well, I was just listening. You did a good job. Good interview. Well, we'll be back you, Valerie, next Friday night. Yeah, go ahead. I said thanks for being my solo interview for a change. Oh, <laughs> it was a thrill. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. Have a good evening. And for heaven's sakes, try to enjoy what you can of your days. We'll be back next Friday with more news, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night.